to um, Isaiah chapter 40. All right, we're going to get right into where we left off last time, and that's talking about the some of the conditions, the details, the blessings, the glories of the earthly kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so praise the Lord for that. Also did want to mention to you that out on the small bulletin board is the uh, address where Mary Ober is up there at the Bradford County Manor. And I know that she would love to receive a card or a letter, note from everybody. So if you could do that, I know she'd appreciate it. All right, Isaiah chapter 40. And we're going to read... Verses 1 through 5, and we'll take right into the first characteristic of the kingdom that we want to look at today. All right, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, and that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins." The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that you are a God of glory. Help us as we look at these great, great verses uh, regarding the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy, and Lord God, he has received a lot of exaltation and glorification, magnification since he accomplished the great work of salvation, and yet nothing like he's going to receive in the day that we have just read about. Father, we're thankful for that, We're thankful for the part that we will have in that kingdom. But most of all, dear Lord, my heart rejoices in what's going to be done for our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so help us by the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The first characteristic that we want to take a look at today is glory. Um, There's going to be glory uh, like this earth has never seen. We looked already at holiness peace, and joy. we got four more today, and we'll see how the Lord directs after that. But glory, Isaiah 40, verse 5, and this is all, this is, the, this is set in the kingdom. Uh, there's the prophecy of John the Baptist mentioned here, or the, the prophecy concerning John the Baptist and him, uh, you know, him prophesying and announcing uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then it points to a later day and a greater day, when the Lord shall come, and Israel, I notice it says that she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And there's an interesting principle there in the word of God, in that Israel has received the punishment and the chastisement for her sins. And that's one part, but the other part is God's forgiveness when they turn back to the Lord. So the double means the, the, both the punishment and the forgiveness and the salvation, and the justification. And then it says this, that when Christ comes, valleys shall be exalted, mountains and hills made low, the crooked shall be made straight, the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. So we will see on this earth, we will see the glory, we will see the majesty 
of the Lord Jesus. We'll see the righteousness. We will see his power. And we will see his judgment and his justice. And so all flesh shall see it. So he is, his, his kingdom is going to be a worldwide kingdom. All right, one other passage for this, also in the book of Isaiah, in chapter 60. Um, as we look at these scriptures, um, you will find, you will see the principle that we've talked about many times, that those Old Testament prophets uh, saw things kind of as in a whole. Um, they might be given a, a, a lump of prophecy, if you will, and it might talk about different things in the same prophecy. And oftentimes the prophet did not differentiate, and I'm convinced that sometimes the prophets themselves didn't understand everything they were prophesying. But in Isaiah chapter 60, this is talking about redeemed and glorified Jerusalem. Now, if you notice in prophecy, the city of Jerusalem is often used in, in place of Israel. So when God speaks about rebuking Jerusalem, he's talking about the whole nation. But because Jerusalem was the headquarters and the center of life and the temple was there and the kings ruled there, uh, Jerusalem was often used to stand for the whole nation. Well, that's the case here. But this is not a time of rebuke. This is a time of blessing. Notice verse 1. Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee, upon Jerusalem. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people. But the Lord shall arise upon thee, and his glory shall be seen upon thee. And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now that was partly fulfilled in the, uh, the journey of the wise men to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem to give gifts and to worship the newborn king. But it's not, nothing like it's going to be in the future when Jerusalem is going to be the joy of the whole earth. And uh, people are going to go there. We read, I think last week we read in Isaiah chapter 2 where it talks about all the nations are going to flow to Jerusalem. They're going to go to the temple because they want to see the Lord. And uh, so his glory. All right, let's take a look at verse 9. Surely the isles shall wait for me and the ships of Tarshish first to bring thy sons from far their silver and their gold with them, unto the name of the Lord thy God and to the Holy One of Israel, because he hath glorified thee. So the Holy One of Israel, of course, is the Messiah, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in his glory, Jerusalem will be glorified. Israel will be restored to its place of prominence among the nations. Um, they will fully occupy, possess the land, all right? Um, and and, and uh, Daniel was promised at the end of the book of Daniel. Daniel, the Lord says to Daniel, Go thy way, for thou shalt rest. In other words, you will die and stand in thy lot in the latter days. So Daniel's going to be a special person in the kingdom. And so will David. Ezekiel says that a resurrected David is going to be the prince. He's going to be the prince over Israel. So Jesus, 
is going to be number one in command. David will be second. David will be like a regent. He will be a ruler. And then, of course, the Bible says we will rule with him. Jesus said that his 12 disciples will sit upon thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so there's going to be government. There's going to be people all over the world ruling under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it will be glorious. Now, it, it'll be like it was um, when God first created the world. That's going to be even greater than that. I, I'm sure the glory will exceed that. Because you'll have a world full of people glorifying God. Jesus will be ruling from the throne of David in Jerusalem. So glory, 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 glory. All right, let's, um, Isaiah 2. A second aspect of that kingdom will be knowledge. Increased knowledge of God. All right, Isaiah chapter 2. Let's see what it says there. Verses 1 to 3, we've looked at this passage already one time, but we'll look at it again. Um, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1, The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house, that is, Mount Zion and the temple, shall be established. In the top of the mountain. So it's like, so the temple of God and the throne of Christ will be, will be, is like a mountain towering above everything else and, um, and, uh, top of, and shall be exalted above the hills. And there it is, all nations shall flow unto it. That is all the Gentiles. All the saved of the Gentiles will flow unto it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, um, the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so the, the capital of the kingdom will be Jerusalem. And so judgment, justice, and government, and legislation, all the things that need to be done will be, will be done from Jerusalem. Okay? Now, um, children will be born, and, and I, I don't, we won't get to that today probably, but maybe in a future message we'll show you how the Bible says that people who, of the Gentiles especially, who live through the tribulation and come into the kingdom, they will repopulate the world. They will not be in glorified bodies they will produce children. So the Bible talks about the streets being filled with boys and girls playing and all those things. And their offspring. And it talks about how you know, they're going to have to come to know the Lord. They're going to have to be saved. And many won't be saved. And they'll follow the devil. We'll get to that probably next week a little bit. But anyway, so knowledge. Chapter 11. Let's go there. Chapter 11 of the book of Isaiah. Again, this is all because of the Lord Jesus, all because he has come back to earth and he is setting up his kingdom. His kingdom will never be, will never be flawed. There'll never be a miscarriage of justice. Um, there'll never be anybody wrongly punished or wrongly acquitted. It's, all, it's going to be perfect justice, all right? Now, 
Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse. Jesse was David's father, and a, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. That's talking about Jesus' humanity. He came from Israel. He came from David. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. If you count those, Lord and, and wisdom and so on, you notice that there are seven spirits mentioned in there. All right? When John saw heaven in the vision of Revelation, he saw seven lamps, which represent the seven spirits of God. And so here, here are those seven spirits. There are actually seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit, which will fill Jesus during the millennium, all right? Um, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after hearing of his ears, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor, and reprove with equity, that is fairness, for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked, and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reign. So Jesus' kingdom will be characterized by equity, by righteousness, by faithfulness, all right? Now, down to verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. There will be no violence, there will be no murders, there will be no thefts, there will be none of that. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Think about all the, you know, the gallons and gallons and Millions of gallons of water covering the ocean floors. Well, the Bible says that's how the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. Wow, what, that, I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. All right. I think the closest thing that I know of today really is the country of Liberia where they are, they are filling that land with the knowledge of the Lord. And the influence of the gospel of Christianity is so great, Muslims can't even get a foothold. They're trying but they can't. They can't get in because the Christians are so powerful. And praise the Lord for that. So that's kind of like what it's like. I mean, it's just a tiny little thing, kind of what it's going to be like. Of course, Liberia, there's still sin. There's still the government there is very corrupt and all that. So that illustration kind of falls apart. But as far as the influence of the word of God, it's powerful over there. All right. So there you have that. Now let's go to um, Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah, Isaiah, then Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 31, and um, notice a few verses here. Then we need to keep things in their proper context. And so let's pick it up in verse 31. Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord. All right. No higher authority that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, why does the Lord say Israel and Judah? Well, because they were divided in Jeremiah's day. There were two nations. But the prophecies are that God will bring them back together 
In Ezekiel 34, he will bring the, 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 uh, the nation back together, and they're going to have one king over both nations. And he mentions that Christ, the Lord, will rule, but then David will be ruling over reunited, reunified Israel. So that's why he says that. That's so that we can't, even though many people try to, say that this is for the church. The church has replaced Israel. But when God says Judah and Israel, there could be no other way. You have to take it literally referring to Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Now, 32, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day that I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant thou make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, after the covenant is established and all that, I say, Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts, that is, in their heart and soul, and write it in their hearts, and, they, and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Now, this is, this is at the beginning of the millennium. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. In other words, they. There won't, when the kingdom begins, everybody will be saved, and so there's no need to go out anymore and say, you need to know the Lord. You need to know the Lord. Like today, our task is to go out there and say, you need to know Christ. And we give the gospel. There won't be a need to do that at the beginning because everybody will be saved. All right, For they shall all know me, the Lord said, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And then he gives a guarantee in the next few verses. Right? If you can, if you can annul my covenant with the sun and the moon, then you'll be able to break this, but they won't be able to. This will be an unconditional covenant between God and Israel. Never be broken. Israel will never turn away from God. They'll never go back to idols. And God will never turn away from them. All right? All right. Um, number three, glory, knowledge. And then thirdly, the curse will be removed. Okay? Um, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11. One of the... Uh, Pastors was talking, we were having some fellowship at the pastor's meeting, and I can't remember what they were talking about. They might have been talking, oh yeah, golfing, all right, golfing, which is a spiritual activity. But anyway, they were talking about where it was, I think, I can't, I think it was Texas, somewhere, and um, they had a golf course, and they said, if you hit your ball into the woods or whatever, it, you don't even go after it, because there's snakes and gators and all kinds of stuff. So you just don't even bother. <laughs> you know, you and sometimes they come right. And they said to the one, now if you go to the ninth green and you see a rattlesnake on the green, that's our pet rattlesnake, so you don't, don't bother him. Don't go there, all right? Don't, don't even go on the green, all right? And uh, most people, I don't know, well, I knew a couple of strange people that liked snakes. But anyway, um, they remember there was a couple who used to come to our church and we went to visit him one time. He came to the door with this snake around his neck and everything. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, 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 I'm out of here. But anyway, uh, no. So <clears throat> some people like snakes. Most people don't. I think it's because of the association with the devil and all that. But anyway, um, snakes. When we went to one of our 
when he went to Mexico. Some of you might remember that years ago. Pastor Wilson and, and he organized some trips to Mexico and, and we stayed in Texas and we went on the side. We went to Mexico from there. We made a, There was a campground, Christian camp, and we made their headquarters. And the day before we got there, the caretaker had killed a nine-foot rattlesnake, timber rattler, and he had it on display. And he said, don't go near it. He said, because it's true. The truth, it's true that you, a snake will bite you. A rattlesnake will bite after it's dead because there's a reflex there. It's, it reacts to heat. It's not alive, but anyway, wonderful thing to talk about. Well, I like to talk about it because of what's going to happen in the kingdom. All right. Let's take a look at verse 6, uh, uh, Isaiah 11 and verse 6. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. The kid's the baby goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And there's times when I, when I, I don't do it as often as I used to, but I, I used to like to walk in the woods and, and I would see deer and everything and they'd run away and I'd think, oh man, I, I just wait, can't wait for the day to come when the animals won't do that anymore. When we, we'll be able to just be, be with them and we'll see what it was like before the fall and maybe we'll get a chance to see the purpose because every, every creature that God created was for a purpose. You know, the Bible says, remember in Genesis chapter 1, that God said that he told Adam and Eve to have dominion over the earth and subdue it, and all the animals and everything, the birds of the air, the, you know, the cattle and everything, even the fish, they were under man's dominion. So I don't know what that was like. I don't know what that's, but it's going to be like that in the kingdom again. And so it's going to be wonderful. The cow and the bear shall feed, the, verse 7. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. So what, that says a lot. In other words, that tells us that it's going to go back like it was. And do you need to be reminded where God said that he had given the green herb for every creature, man and the animals, all right? Nobody ate meat until after the fall. In fact, until after the flood, God gave permission for man to eat meat, okay? And there's a lot of, you know, you can debate whether that was a good thing or bad thing or whatever. But anyway, um, Verse 8, the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, which is like a snake that lives in the ground, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice den. Cockatrice would be like a rattlesnake or snakes that live, you know, up above the ground and in, you know, in rocks and, and so on. I remember my, my stepdad telling us one time about a couple that worked at Bendix with him. And they had a cabin in Forkston, and they were up there for a weekend one night. And uh, uh, they're getting ready to go to sleep, and all of a sudden the, the wife said, uh, Did you just touch me with your foot? No. And she said, Well, I felt something crawling across the bed. <laughs> so eh, they said, That's probably yeah, whatever. So then a little while later the husband said, I just felt something too. So they turned on the light, and there's a rattlesnake on, on, crawling across their bed. So they got out of there, and they called some people to come in and get rid of them. They found 23 rattlesnakes in their cabin, all right? So you ever thinking about a cabin in Forston? Um, you know, you might want to rethink it. But anyway, snakes, snakes. Um, and here's verse 9. They, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. 
For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. So on. Chapter 65 tells us there will be no curse, right? The curse will be removed. Revelation chapter 22, there shall be no more curse. So uh, we praise the Lord for that. Or let's go to the book of Amos, chapter 9. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, right? The book of Amos, chapter 9. I love this. Oh, this is great. This is super. And this is literal, by the way. This is literal, all right? Um, I think this might be one of my favorite. I mean, it's, it's almost hilarious. It's comical, really. What's going to happen? Um, Amos chapter 9, verse 13, Behold, the days come. And this is all in the kingdom. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper. And the treader of grapes, him that soweth seed, and the mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt, right? In other words, flow. Now, sweet wine there is, is pure, beautiful, freshly squeezed grape juice, wouldn't hurt you, um, and so on. Now, and he says this, And I will bring the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build the way cities, and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof. <clears throat> they, all, they shall also make gardens, eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I gave, have given them, saith the Lord thy God. And I can just picture, I mean, the idea in verse 13 is that the plowman, now in some parts, in that part of the world, there was often two plowings and two plantings and so on. There was a spring and a fall. Now, but the idea here is the guys are saying, hey, can you guys, can you hurry up a little bit? You know, get these crops harvested because we're ready to plant the new ones. And they say, well, wait a minute, you know, we've never had crops like this before. God's going to bless. All right. Isaiah chapter 66, the last thing today, there will be unified worship. All right. Unified worship. Now, the world today is trying to do that. Um, they are trying to unify, but it's a false unity. The same prophet Amos that we just read, one of the famous prophecies that fundamentalists stand upon is Amos when he said, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And there's this ecumenical movement is a movement that's based on compromise and, and uh, 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 liberalism and, and disagreement and false unity and false worship and all those kinds of things. But, but the thing, and what they're trying to do is they're trying to um, have all the churches and religions conform to a standard, you see. But in the day of Christ, when he's on the earth, he's going to conform the people to his standard. All right? So there can never be unity on earth among religions as long as there's false doctrine. And you, I, I think you understand, there are many, many, there are many more false churches and false religions than there are true churches. All right? So let's look at Isaiah 
66. Verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and there shall be an abhorring, they shall be an abhorring unto all flesh. And so in other words, the people of the earth are going to worship the true God. They're going to worship him in spirit and in truth. They're going to obey the word of God, and they're going to abhor all false things, which is what we're supposed to do today. We are supposed to love the truth, and we are supposed to hate evil. We're supposed to hate false doctrine. We're supposed to stand against it, and we are supposed to expose it, and, and so on and so forth. And so but in the, in, during the millennium, everybody is going to worship the same. All right, let's go to the book of uh, Zephaniah. Okay, Zephaniah, which is further uh, toward the end of the Old Testament. Um, <clears throat> Zephaniah comes right before Haggai, if that helps. Um, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai. Um, uh, Zephaniah chapter 3. Right? Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 9, it says this, For then, again, then refers to the kingdom of Christ, then will I turn to the people a pure language. Now the word pure in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, we think about pure, we think it means like, you know, 100% you know, pure, there's no impurities, and that's true, but it also means unmingled. So in other words, we're all going to worship God, and we're all going to worship him in the same language. Right? So I will, then will I turn to people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. All right? One consent. That is, with one heart, with one mind. All right, one more, Zechariah. Zechariah. And I hope, you, I hope you, that you love worshiping the Lord now. Sometimes we can forget. I can forget. I'm so anxious to get here and, and sing the hymns and preach the word of God that sometimes it can slip, up, slip by the way that our main purpose for being here this morning is to worship the Lord. And truly, every part of the service, and, we, and we, it's on purpose that we refer to this service as the morning worship service because everything that we do is to be an act of worship. Right? When we sing, act it's worship. When we read the scriptures together, it's worship. When we pray, it's worship. When we give to our tithes and offerings, it is it is worship. Um, when I preach the word of God, this is my offering of worship to the Lord because of, of, of the greatness of him and the greatness of his word. I mean, there is nothing better. Nothing, nothing better. And I was so blessed. Uh, Friday and Saturday to listen to men preach God's word. Some of them, men I've known for years, like Pastor Kermard and, and Jeff Griffith and, and Pastor, uh, Pastor Motes from down there in Chad's Ford and different guys 
Heard a couple guys I'd never heard before. They preached great messages. Dr. Griffith preached a great message. But every one of them just upheld and, and magnified this word, the word of God, the Bible. And it was just great. It was wonderful. And it was, it was a time of worship, all right? So we worship God. In fact, our lives, and, and really, in Romans 12, when it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, except unto God, which is your reasonable service. That is the idea that our bodies are being are offered to God as worship. When those Old Testament believers, when they brought their sacrifices, that was an act of worship. And so our whole life, is to be worship, ourselves, worship, all right? Now, so, here in Zechariah 14, verse 16, I, I can't wait, I mean, wonderful. I, I remember, I've never been to a camp meeting as such, but I remember, you know, a couple things. Our fellowship, they have an annual conference, and um, it's neat how people get there, right? People get there, and then you see, hey, hey, there's uh, Pat, there's so hey, there's brother, there's brother, um, uh, there's brother Lashaway. Hey, there's Joe Rossini. And as the guys come, it reminds me of this in Zechariah. But I remember watching the the film Sheffy when they would have the big camp meetings down south in Virginia and all that. And the people would come. Oh, the people would come. And one of the neat things was as people got there, hey, there's Brother Sheffy and there's this one, that one. And they would just come. Well, notice it says here in Zechariah 14, 16, it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, that is, the people that live through the millennium, or live through tribulation, turn to Christ, they're going to be there, which came against Jerusalem, shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So it's interesting that apparently we're going to be doing some of the Old Testament stuff, some of the feasts and observances, because it's going to be a reminder that Jesus Christ fulfilled all those. One of those is the Feast of Tabernacles. So everybody has to go up. Okay? And it shall be that whoso will not come up of all the families of the earth under Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So you see, there's going to be judgment. We just read in, in um, Amos about the crops. Well, if those people don't come up to worship God, there won't be any rain. And if the family of Egypt go not up and come not, that have no rain, uh, there shall be the plague where the Lord will, will smite the heathen that, that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of, the ta of Tabernacles. In that day there uh, shall there be upon the bells of the horses holiness unto the Lord. Now, one of the interesting things to me is that apparently in the millennium, um, we're not, there's not going to be cars and there's not going to be planes and all that stuff. It's going to go back to the old ways and there's going to be horses and those sort of, that sort of thing. All right. But anyway, what it's saying here is that this kingdom is going to be so holy that even, the, even any of the decorations on the horses is going to say holiness unto the Lord. And so the world is going to embrace holiness and righteousness well there we we have we've just barely begun to touch or scratch the surface of the hundreds of verses in the bible that talk about this kingdom i'd like us to turn to one more passage and that's in the new testament whoops 
Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. That was just one of the maps. It wasn't the actual. Oh, I didn't actually tear the Bible. So <laughs> this brand new Bible, it's getting broken in. But anyway, Hebrews 12. So there is an application for us. The kingdom, we don't know when it's going to be. It's going to be at least seven years from now. So it's maybe, it might be closer than we think. But God's going to do it. He's going to do it. How many times did you notice in those scriptures, thus saith the Lord, the word of the Lord. One of my favorites is Isaiah 9. We looked at that last week. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So it's not going to take an act of Congress. The United Nations doesn't have to approve this. No Supreme Court ruling, right? He's just going to do it. Praise the Lord for that. Praise God for that. I want to say this, that, you know, that same power, that same power by which Christ will rule on the earth is the same power that dwells in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. The same word that Jesus Christ will use to destroy his enemies is the same word that we hold in our hands. And we need to, be, we need to remember this is powerful. One of the designations of this book is the sword of the Spirit. And so we can use it, and we need to use it. All right? So let's see what it says. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 says, Wherefore, in other words, in light of the fact that we, receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And one of the things I believe that's implied here is that the, when we stand before Jesus Christ, our works are going to be burned up if they're not done for the glory of God. Right? 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15 talks about our works being tried by fire. But so let's serve God. Now, let us have grace. Grace here is, there's so many different meanings and usages of the word grace. But here it's the word power. It's enablement. So that we can serve God acceptably. Because one principle, and perhaps we'll look at it, one principle of Jesus teaching about the kingdom is our level of service here will determine our level of authority in our, in, our, in, our, in our range of authority and blessing in the millennial kingdom. You know, you have been faithful in a few things. Remember that parable? I will make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. And one time he says, have thou authority over ten cities. Thy pound hath gained ten pounds. Well done. Thou shalt have authority over ten cities. Thy pound hath gained five. Well done. You'll have authority over five cities. It's that, and it's going to be that way. Literally. We're going to rule. It's going to be cool. Not cool to rule. But anyway, so we need to have grace. And I've been, I've been preaching on that. We're just getting started on Sunday nights talking about the sufficiency of Scripture. And so what we're going to do, I think how the Lord is directing in that, is we're going to look at how the Word of God enables us to live and serve. And we're going to try to deal with every issue. I don't know how long it's going to take. We're going to deal with things like anxiety and stress, and we're going to talk about finances and family and all kinds of things that the Bible talks about that we need grace for. And so I hope that you'll, as much as possible, that you'll come to hear 
um, these messages from the Word of God. It all comes under the banner of the sufficiency of Scripture. But here, so by the grace of God, God, the Word of His grace, Paul says, I commend you to God and the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up. All right, so we need the grace of God. But we need God's grace to serve Him acceptably. So may the Lord help us in that. Now, um, <clears throat> only those who are saved will enter the kingdom. Okay? So you have to be saved. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? So how was one saved? How was one born again? Well, very simple. It's by acknowledging that we are sinners and asking the Lord Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. Yes, it's that simple. We need to realize that we need salvation. And that's what repentance. Repentance really is simply a change of mind which acknowledges what God says. Someone put it this way. Repentance is agreeing with God. All right? God, your word says I'm a sinner. I accept that. The Bible says that I'm because I'm a sinner, I'm condemned to death. I accept that. The Bible says Christ came and died for my sin. I accept that. And he will save me if I call upon him. I accept that. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we could have in the word of God. And I would pray if there's anybody, maybe there's some today in this small group, maybe there's some who would have to admit, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've never admitted my sin and trusted him. And I want to give an opportunity, Father, for, for those people to do that today. Lord, I'm praying that right now, and folks hear me right now, Lord, that someone will call out to God and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I need salvation. I want to be part of that great kingdom. And I believe Jesus died for me, and I believe he rose again. And I now, I now ask him to come into my life and forgive my sin, be my Savior. And like the thief on the cross, I would say, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Father, I trust that perhaps there are those who prayed that right now from their hearts, accepting Christ as Savior. Lord, I pray to that end, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our hymn books. Now, folks, if, there's any, if you did that, I would love to know that. If, if you would be willing to tell me after the service that, yes, I prayed that prayer. I asked the Lord to save me. Um, I'd like to be able to rejoice with you. All right. So let's take our hymn books and turn to hymn number 194. 
thank God Jesus Christ paid the penalty for my sins and for yours. And you can call, just like earlier when I prayed, you can call upon him right now in the quietness of your own heart. He knows our hearts. He'll hear you. He'll hear you. All right, let's sing a couple verses. Um, let's start with verse number one. We'll kind of go from there. A ruler once came to Jesus by night to ask him the way of salvation and why. The master made answer in words true and plain, ye must be born again. Ye must be born service tonight. In Jesus' name.